Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Steve Cashel in this week for Connor McKnight. White Sox fans, join us on Friday, June 30th for Mullet Night and a post-game fireworks show presented by Great Clips. The night features haircuts, courtesy of Great Clips, and mullet wigs for purchase to support Ronald McDonald House Charities. Great Clips, it's going to be great. Purchase your tickets today by visiting WhiteSox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Well, this past week was Major League Baseball's amateur draft. The White Sox number one pick was third baseman Jake Berger from Missouri State. White Sox director of amateur scouting Nick Hostetler stopped by to chat with Ed and DJ during the Monday game to talk about Jake and the draft. So our guy uh, from Missouri, uh, Darren saw him on TV the other night. Looks like he could swing the bat, 22 homers. Yeah, big, big raw power. Yeah. Big raw power, stays at third base. Um, high on-base percentage guy. He's not going to strike out a lot. Uh, he's going to walk. He's going to, you know, that, that was one of the big things for us. And, and you know, our ability to, to evaluate him as a third baseman, we feel he fits right big in. Big day for him, too. Huge. I mean, when you look at things that have happened in baseball and you get to this day with the draft, so we'll go through the process. Uh, I'm aware of this. You put him on your radar screen, uh, Berger, the guy we took today uh, from the University of Missouri. And then you have a number of guys see him, especially the area scout, right? Yeah, the area scout clay overcast started. Uh, he, he, we had our cross checkers uh, all go in and see him. And then, How many cross checkers do you have? Uh, we have seven. Uh, yeah. Seven guys that, that cross check for me, and they're they're my right hand man. I mean, uh, the guys guy who sees him first, you always want him to go back and see him always. again, a cross checker, yeah. two or three times. Even. Absolutely, I'd like them to get as many looks as they yeah. can, uh, especially on the guys, especially on hitters. Uh, it, you know, you might see an 0 for 4 day. You might see a day the kid just isn't. Just didn't swing the bat well. And there's more opportunities to see a hitter as well. Well, when we talk about the number one pick we had, now, when you see him, he's locked in at third base. There's no other. Can you see him playing somewhere else, the outfield or first base? Yeah, he, ultimately, he could play some left field, yeah. and he could possibly play first. But we we evaluated him as a third baseman. We think uh, he's a Running third skills, is he a five runner? He's actually an average runner. He's yeah. got a plus arm. Uh, the feet work well, and uh, we're, we're pretty excited to have him. Now, here's a question for everyone. We talk about it, Darren and I, on the uh, broadcast from time to time. Uh, 20 to 80. Yep. Well, why, those are the 50 is average. But why is it 20 to 80? I, I always wanted to know that. That's a answer. great question. I'm yeah. not sure why it is. I, 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 I'm not sure why it is. It's always been that way, and uh, I'm definitely not going to try to change it. And also, the, <laughs> the, the, no, no, not now. The increments in between, you can give them, say, if of a little bit above average runner, you give him a 52, 53. Yep, yep. You can go in some increments in between. Kind of help separate players doing that. Uh, Best player you ever saw? Best player I ever saw was probably Buster Posey. And you saw him as a catcher all the saw way, him right? As a catcher. Yeah. Actually had him, uh, he was in my area when I was an area scout as a high school player, and he pitched as well. And uh, he had a pretty special arm as a pitcher. <laughs> he did. He could swing the bat. When you look at things today with the kids that are, they're certainly better shape than we are. They've been taught certainly uh, better than we did at that age. What's the most demonstrative thing you see? Is it uh, makeup more than it is physicality? Yeah, it is. Makeup, it, it, the kids change. It's amazing how much kids have changed over years. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I sound like I'm, I'm talking like I'm an old old geezer yeah. here. But, well, you know, getting there. I'm getting there. It's, yeah. Yeah, there's some grays in there. I'm already past that. <laughs> but um, it is. You know, you see, and you have to adjust to that. If not, you're going to get caught behind the curve. Yeah. You know, if I throw everybody out that I see does a black flip or yells and pitcher or tries to get fans in the game, we're not going to get good players. Well, let's so. mention this, too, while we're on it. 
College baseball is a lot different than oh. professional baseball, although it's ebbing to that point where it's getting to the big leagues now with a little bat flip, yep. everybody doing whatever that dances at second. Exactly. Um, when you look at things and where we're going with the organization, we have six or seven players downstairs. You don't have to bring them up this year, do you? No, no, we don't. It's one of the things about the position that Rick put us in and the players that, that we have. You know, we are now able to take some time. You know, we don't need them right away. Nick, do you remember who taught you how to evaluate talent? Did you need somebody to help you? I did. You know, it first started with my father. Um, yeah. He wasn't a baseball scout. Uh, he just, you know, we used to go to games constantly, and he would put me in position. He's the reason why I'm here today. He put me in position. He, he showed me the love for the game that he had. So your dad responsible for the White he Sox? Having yep. He is. Our he, scouting director. He do we is. blame him? or do We, we blame him. him. Probably blame oh. him right now. <laughs> so uh, let me ask you this. When we talk about the kids in the minor league, people think they're going to get here fast. They still have to learn how to play at a young age, Absolutely. don't they? Absolutely. And, you know, what Ricky Renteria had started yeah. uh, with with an organizational philosophy, and it's filtered down through Buddy Bell and Chris Getz, and uh, they've got everybody in, in looking and pulling from the same rope. Todd Frazier, there's no gray area with this guy. You know that already from his makeup. <laughs> but uh, talk about a leader in the clubhouse. Yes. You don't have to go any further. He is. And, uh, the, you know, that's something you can't put a price tag oh, on. No. You know, and, and the guy we drafted tonight has some similar qualities to that. You know, teammates love him. He's a, he's a leader in the clubhouse. And uh, I told a story earlier tonight that uh, he had mono, and they were repainting. Mononucleosis. Their, yeah. Right? Yeah, they, they were repainting their clubhouse at Missouri State, and uh, he refused to stay home. He went in and wanted to join his teammates. And, and so he wanted to make them a sick. Yeah, he also. wanted to make him sick. Yeah. So maybe it's selfish. He's, but, a, he's a giving man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, rich it showed, man also. Yeah, going to be. showed me a lot right there. That uh, that's the type of guy we want in our organization. There's a swinging strike on Davidson. Surprised about this guy with ten home runs. Yeah, you know Matt's the guy that we saw in our hitters camp a couple years ago really yeah. start to get it. And uh, you know I think that he's he's shown the ability to hit the ball of the ballpark, and um, you know he's going to continue to improve. We engage him in conversation, Darren and myself. And he's a funny man. He, he just is. doesn't let you know right away. How important is it for your scouts to get into the house and meet the families? It's huge. That, it, uh, it's it's one of the main pieces yeah. of the puzzle that we have to put together. Got to get the makeup on them. Absolutely. Right? And I can't tell you how proud I am of our scouting department and the efforts that they put in this year to get to know these kids. I mean, every single guy we talked about, uh, they know him from top to bottom, in and out, and that's the way we want it to be done. He gets to know you guys as well also. Absolutely. Uh, when you look at scouting, you look at what goes on. The budget, I know, is exceedingly high, but you want those guys out on the road. Yeah. They may see something in another city that we don't know about. When you get somebody like that, do we have someone in the organization like that? Oh, no, absolutely we do. Absolutely we do. We've Some of these guys in the big leagues, um, you know, Phil Gully, our area scout uh, in Kentucky, uh, at one point uh, we were talking this week, and he's got four big leaguers right now all drafted after the seventh round. Wow. Kevin Smith, Brad Goldberg is now back down. Yeah. Adam Engel is back down, but uh, also Chris Bassett. So he has four big leaguers all drafted after the seventh round. White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting, Nick Hostetler. We're going to hear more from Nick up next as he meets with the media following day two. This is White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. I'm Steve Cashel, filling in this week for Connor McKnight. Vote today, vote tomorrow, vote White Sox for your 2017 All-Stars with the eSurance MLB All-Star Game Ballot. Vote at WhiteSox.com slash vote and catch all of the excitement of the 88th Major League Baseball All-Star Game presented by MasterCard, July 11th, live on Fox. Well, after day two of the MLB draft, White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting, Nick Hostetler, met with the media 
to discuss how day two went for the White Sox and looking ahead to day three. You know, in regards to Luis Gonzalez, he's another one that we feel that um, talent-wise, he had first-round talent. Um, he was a guy that at one point we had discussed about a possibility, you know, should we not like our options? Was he a good option there at 11? So that, that was early on in the process, and I don't want anybody to think that we, we think we had another first round or another third. But um, he was a guy that we felt that fell to a position that was lower than what his skills were. Um, Lincoln Hensman was another guy. You know, that we feel that Lincoln's going to start. We're going to put him right out into the rotation when he's done with the College World Series um, and, and get going. The same with Cade McClure. Um, you know, we had a we had a lot of guys, a lot of solid college performers, even Tyler Johnson, who we saw close for Team USA last year. He's another one we're going to send out as a starter. We're going to stretch these guys out. Would you see those two closers and you guys announced them as starters? Would yeah. you see? Well, Lincoln started some last year for Louisville. He started in the Cape. I, when we've seen him start a lot. Uh, this year uh, at Louisville, uh, Coach Dan McDonald has done a really – this program's one of the best. Um, and he's done a great job. Obviously, we've, we've went to the Louisville well a decent amount of times. Um, he believes he's a starter. Uh, we believe he's a starter. And he made the same comment to me that uh, his pitching coach, Roger Williams, did. And that was, look – if he didn't impact the game every single game for me, he would be starting. But I didn't want him to impact the back end of the game. Tyler Johnson has big, big stuff. The stuff's better than Lincoln's. Lincoln's a little bit more, has a little bit more feel and pitchability. Uh, but Tyler's got the mechanics, we feel, that, that can start. He just needs stretched out. He had a long little layoff from an injury this year. Um, came back, you know, guns a-blazing, and he's looked great since. Uh, Gonzalez, you know, talked about him being a high-end talent. It kind of fell. Talking to him personally, what kind of he had you with competency? You know, go with him. Yeah, look, Luis is a uh, he's a five-tool type center fielder. He's going to stay in center field. Um, he can really play out there. He can run. I think he's only been thrown out once in his three years, uh, base stealing-wise. Um, he showed a little bit of more power. Um, you know, our, our our analytics guys are, are they have their own metrics and ways to shape um, different things, ballpark weighted and all of that. So I wouldn't read too much into altitude and playing in that conference is what what the naked eye looks at it. Maybe even me at sometimes, um, but he can hit. He can really swing the bat. It's an advanced approach. And again, like the other two guys yesterday, you know, he's more walks than strikeouts, and that was that was one of our themes this year. What about the uh, the ninth and ten round kids? Was Indiana and I think Olson. Yeah, Olson's from Oklahoma and uh, Didlo's from Indiana. Didlo's another big power kid. Um, we what we did is just went down the whole home run totals and just say let's take them all one of them. <laughs> um, but he's an athletic kid that's going to stay in center field. Now there's a little bit more swing and miss with him. Um, as a senior sign, you're going to have some hickeys. I mean, that's just part of the deal, and it's part of why you got to the ninth round. Uh, we actually had him in last year and had interest in him last year. The numbers, money-wise, didn't fit, uh, but we're excited to get him. And then uh, J.B. Olson, he's a right-handed reliever that our track man data and our uh, analytics loved. Um, our scouts liked as well. So it was a good mesh of the two. It's always nice when those two uh, match up with each other. When you did go outside the box for this kid that you talked about, is that something that you guys all talk about because of the fact that you guys are going so strong yeah, we do. we got to really believe in the carrying tool and, and the carrying tool for Evan is going to be his power so when we go outside the box and go against what we're doing we got to make sure there's a tool in there that we feel is going to be valuable and we got to make sure that he's going to be able to get to that tool um, kind of similar to a big power right handed pitcher he can throw as hard as he wants he doesn't throw strikes at all he's, he's never going to pitch for us so we've got to be able to think that there's enough consistency how hard is it going to be to stick to this type of plan, knowing that 
there's limitations on it. You guys are that advanced. Yeah, there is. And, and, and it's funny because more and more teams are, are, are like this. So you've got to make sure you pick and choose your spots. You also have to rely on your scout's ability at that point. I never want to get in a situation where we're relying on just one side or the other. Um, we've got to have a marriage between the both. And if we don't, we're going to fail. It's, it's inevitable we're going to fail. So we've got to make sure that our focus is on marrying the two together, understanding we're not overweighting one to the other, um, and using both to complement each other. A lot of spirited conversations oh, when yeah. it comes to that. There's a ton of them. And, and, and I kind of love that part of it. It's kind of because I have both in me. Um, you know, I, I had completely embraced the analytics side, all the sabermetrics, and, and have worked really hard to learn them and incorporate them into my evaluating. But we also have some guys that are strict evaluators, um, and I like to hear both sides. It's one of the part in my job that, that makes it difficult, but it's also fun, is being able to listen to both arguments. I'm almost like a judge sitting there waiting. To, I wish I had a gavel sometime in that room to shut some guys up. And, um, it's, it, it is fun for me, and I do have a lot of – it's a lot of back and forth. And there was times Kenny looked at me yesterday where he was like, I want to smile a little bit. You know, it's just, but there's a lot going on in my head trying to weigh, weigh both sides. But it's a lot of fun. You talked to everyone, it sounds like a, I did, yeah. He actually was here for our workout. He flew in from uh, from Washington to work out for us. Big, big power. And this, this story, this is one of the most unique stories I think we've ever drafted. Um, he's a U.S. Nash, junior national water polo player. Uh, it's a scholarship to Long Beach State. Mom was an Olympian. Um, Dad was in the uh, military. He was born in Kuwait City. Uh, so this kid's backstory is some kind of tremendous. And when you see the kid physically, it is some physical specimen. I mean, these shoulders are really big and broad. He's six foot five, and he was hitting balls on. I think he came in on Monday. He was hitting balls so far. Jim Tomey was standing there, and he walks over. He goes, "Who is this kid?" And I even had to pull out the roster to to look and realize that it was Sam Abbott. So um, there's a, this is going to be a long process for Sam. It's a two-year rookie ball guy. He's new to baseball. Um, he didn't, wasn't on the circuit. He wasn't an area code guy. So this is going to take some time. There's going to be some patience. But this is one of those high-risk, high-rewards that if this hits, it's a story good enough for a movie. What, what was his reaction when uh, I saw a headline? And what was his reaction when you guys called? He was, his parents, he's actually still in school. And they, the parents were in the athletic director's office. They had to go get him out of class so he could listen to it when we drafted him. So we gave him the heads up, and, and mom and dad were excited. The kid was, was excited. And I think Robbie Cummings deserves 100% of the credit for this, our area scout in the Northwest. Sometimes it's easy to get lost up there. Um, it always rains. It's cold. It's not exactly a sunny destination that I like to go to all the time. But um, Robbie was adamant on this kid and fought like crazy for him and did a, just a great job on him. That's Nick Hostetler, White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting. We're going to hear more from Nick later in the show. Up next, though, Steve Dahl has a chance to catch up with Hawk Harrelson, who announced a couple weeks ago that he is stepping aside after this season. We're going to let you hear that interview next on White Sox Weekly. You're listening to WLSAM 890. You're listening to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. I'm Steve Cashel in for Connor McKnight. Hey, teachers, spend summer break at the ballpark. The next Teacher Appreciation Night is on Friday, June 23rd, as your White Sox take on the Oakland A's. Get specially priced seats in select sections for all teachers, faculty, students, and their families. Visit WhiteSox.com slash teacher to get your tickets today. A couple of weeks ago, Ken Hawk Harrelson announced that he is stepping aside after this season as the TV voice of the White Sox. 
Steve Dahl had Hawk on his show to talk about his career and a few funny stories. Can I tell you a funny story real quick? Um, yeah. My son, Matt Dahl, uh, did the, the uh, Hawk uh, uh, alarm clock commercial, and he, he and uh, his, uh, his cohort drove down to Indiana so they could do it near Hawk's place. And, uh, and it came out great, I thought. I thought it was really, really funny. Very funny. Sit, police acts in bed, and he, stretch, come on, stretch. <laughs> and, uh, but Matt said afterwards, uh, you, he was talking to you, and you said, you know, when did you get in or whatever? And he said, oh, last night. And, he, and you said, you should have called me. And it, he, that, I believe, is going to be one of the biggest regrets of his life, that he didn't know that he could call you and hang out with you down in Granger, Indiana, for a night. Well, it would have been three of us. It would have been Matt, myself, and Mr. Smirnoff. Yeah, right. Well, I think he's familiar with it. He also has a relationship with the Russians. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I just first off, congratulations on a fantastic career. And you know, I mean, I we've known each other since back in the day when you were with Double D. Oh boy. That and that was some that was some fun. You guys had some fun. That uh, was really yeah yeah you what Don Drysdale. I miss that big guy. He was something. You know, he we had. We had so much fun together, and we had all, hell. We argued half the time, right? You know, and uh, we almost got into it a couple of times. And we were, in fact, we were here in Cleveland one time, going over to Vern Fuller's uh, restaurant, and uh-huh. this is before he met Annie. You know, Annie. When he met Annie, she made him stop smoking. She made him stop drinking, and you know, he just she just kind of turned his whole life around. But before then, we got into an argument. And I was driving, and uh, he was on one of our young pitchers. He was very tough on young pitchers. Right. I said, why don't you get off that guy? <laughs> so we got into an argument. Finally, I said, you know, the hell with this. I said, let's just get it settled. So I pulled a car off oh. the side of the road, out. <laughs> and he got out. And we got in there. We got face-to-face, and all of a sudden, I'm looking up at him, you know, and he looks down, and he thank goodness he smiled, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was one tough customer. We just hugged each other, but uh, that was a lot of fun with Big D. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I grew up a Dodger fan. I grew up in L.A., so uh, one of my idols for sure. And now, so you're going to keep doing the road games this season, right? Right. All the way through. And then next season you'll come up and do some Sunday home games? Yeah, Sunday day games and Sunday home games. Yeah. Uh, um, we'll do some, I'll do it. We don't know exactly what's going to happen yet because uh, Jason's going to uh, he's going to do a couple of series for me because uh-huh. I got some stuff to do, and I'm going to reciprocate with him. You know, because he's going to have uh, the ESPN stuff he's got to do. Uh huh. So it's, it's it's not a set thing right now. It's just the. For the most part, it's just a. I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna do any night games except maybe when we play the Cubs. That's the only night game I'll do. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. No, that's uh, that's good. So you're gonna be around, is my point. I mean, that's. You, we will still feel yeah, your presence, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be there, and I got. Uh, I'll be coming up to the ballpark sometimes, you know, to uh, meet and greet, so to speak, with yeah. uh, some clients. Yeah. And sign some autographs and take some pictures and sit there and tell some lies, you know. Yeah, you got to. That's the best part of baseball. It is. You the know, storytelling. 
Exactly right. You know, I think this one writer, in fact, he wrote it not too long ago. Uh, I don't know what paper it was. Uh, somebody sent me a, an email or the story. Said that uh, two guys in baseball are not play by play guys. They're Vince Gully and Hawk Harrelson are are two storytellers who do play by play. Right. And that's what the game, you know, the game is built on, first of all, great players. That's what the game of baseball is built on. And then it's built on great rivalries. You know, when you got the Sox and the Cubs, you got the Yankees and the Red Sox and Dodgers and the Giants. And then it's built on tradition. And we're a generational game that, you know, grandfathers can tell their grandchildren about. In some cases, great-grandfathers can tell their great-grandchildren about. Right. And other sports don't have that. No. And that's why I get the majority, I get a ton of fan mail. And most of the time, it's always thank you so much for the stories about some of the guys in the past. Uh, and, of course, we can't exclude the youngsters. We have to tell them who some of these guys in the past were because they have no clue, you know. Yeah, but, you know, the best part is it's a chance to talk to the youngsters about something that they want to listen to. So, it's it, as you said, it's a great way for generations to communicate. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I, I tell you what, guys, it's been such a great ride for me all these years. You know, I want to go to uh, January 1st, 2020, and that will put me in that club. Not many guys are in. Right. Uh, Vin's in there. Scully's in there, you know. Uh, Don Zimmer's in there. I think Lasorda's in there. Dave Garcia's in there. Of people who have been in professional baseball all the parts of eight decades. Man, oh, man. Yeah. Now, that's that's a long time. That's impressive, but man. You can't be in that club unless you have lo- really loved the game. You know, and if you've loved the game, you've had a lot of disappointments. And if you love the game, you've had a lot of thrills. And if you love the game, the one thing I know about baseball is the longer I, that's how this is how beautiful this game is. The one thing I know about it is the longer I'm in it, the less I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, this game is absolutely unbelievable. And you know, I played them all. I played football, great football, played all American basketball player. And by far this is the most beautiful game of all because nobody knows it. You've just been around it longer than other people. Now, right. of course, the X's and O's, you know, X's and O's in basketball are important. X's and O's in football are very important. X's and O's in baseball don't mean a damn thing. Nope. On any given day. A, no, we, we got people in the stands every night in a Sox game who X's and O's wise can run a Major League Baseball game. <laughs> you don't have that in football. You don't have that in basketball. Right. But you got it in baseball. The, the key in baseball is having guys get out of them what they have in them. Right. And wow. that's why you take a guy like Joe Madden. That's why you take a guy like we got now. We got the right guy trending us in the right direction going forward. And that's Rick Renteria. I think so. so we have, we were two, we, in Chicago, we got two of the greatest managers, in my opinion, because they get what's in these guys. Look at our guys last night. Trailing 6 nothing. all of a sudden, hell, once we're in the bat, we can win a game in the ninth. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I I I, just, I don't know Rick Renteria at all, but just from watching him and hearing him talk, and uh, it, I, I would want to play well for him. I wouldn't want to disappoint well, him. You, knowing you, you would love him. I can tell you that right now. 
you, you would love him. He's uh, he's he's the real deal. He's genuine. There's nothing fake about it. You know, I love Robin like a son. Mm-hmm. You know, we all love Robin. Sure, Robin's my second all-time favorite uh, White Sox player. But it, it's number one would be time. Big Hurt, Mark Burley. Mark Burley. All right, mm. nice. I would have guessed Todd Frazier after what we heard last year. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I love to watch him play. We talked a little bit after the game last night. He asked me, he said, "Did you give me stay fair, stay fair on that one?" I said, "Yeah, I did." Yeah, stay fair, stay <laughs> fair. <laughs> stay fair. Hey, uh, Doc wanted to say hi. He worked with you over at uh, Sports Channel. Sports Vision, Ken. Sports Vision. I, I was on the floor crew with you at Sports Vision years ago when we were doing the. Boy, well, you know you're in diapers then. Yeah, I was just a young man. I was just a young man. But my father, Dale Julin, was the director, and uh, you had found out. And you actually used to call me Doogie. I don't know if you recall that, but that's what you called me. And you found out I was a musician, and he said to me one day, he said, Doogie, I only know the words to two songs, the national anthem and Boney Maroney. <laughs> that's right. I, did a, I played in the golf tournament called the Music City Open in Nashville, and that's where they had a baseball player. They had a professional golfer, and they had a, you know, country and western entertainer. So I had Chet Atkins, who was a pretty good, you know, oh, guitar, yeah. mm-hmm. himself, and, and uh, Bob Murphy and myself, and one of they called the uh, Tennessee Colonels, uh, you know, the big donors. Mm-hmm. So after the, the format was, after you played the round, you went to this huge tent that sat like maybe three or 4,000 people in there, huge. And the celebrity would get up with, the country and western entertainer, and they'd go on stage. And the whoever the entertainer was, they would play their instrument or sing their song. Mm-hmm. So now they get up, and Bobby Nichols was there, professional golfer, and he was sitting in the front row. And I guess Bobby had heard me sing Boney Maroney one time. So he started, <laughs> hey, sing Boney Maroney. So listen to this. How about this to having three guys play guitar for you? I had Jack Atkins. Roy Clark and Jerry Reed. Holy smokes! Now, how about that? Uh, and, and you and you and you laid a bony Maroney on the crowd. And I laid a bony Maroney, on the crowd, <laughs> and I say you brought the crowd down. I mean, I was stomping my foot. I got a gun made bony Maroney. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I finish, when I finish, they say more, 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 and I told. I told Jerry Reed, I said, Jerry, I already know one more song. He said, what's that? I said, Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> <laughs> he said, get your ass out of here. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, it's been a great ride. Oh, you, yeah, for all of us, too. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not summertime until uh, I turn on the TV and I hear the hawk. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, any, anytime you want. You know, I know you got enough. You do enough broadcasting as it is, but you're welcome on this show anytime. And uh, just wanted to say hi and say thanks and congratulations on on a, you know, a, a, I know it's not 100 percent over, but uh, on a great a great career. And uh, thank you very much. Just, I and, and being a good steward uh, of the game of baseball. Thanks, that's, guys. That's Talk important. All right, Hawk. Take thanks, care. Hawk. Right. Steve Dahl and Hawk Harrelson from the Steve Dahl Show. Up next here on White Sox Weekly, we're going to hear an interview that Connor did with Ben Badler from Baseball America regarding the White Sox recent signing of Luis Robert. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Steve Cashel in this week for Connor McKnight. 
Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox take on the Texas Rangers on Saturday, July 1st. The first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox Hawaiian shirt presented by Beggar's Pizza. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. You know, a few weeks ago, the White Sox signed highly touted Cuban prospect Luis Robber. Connor McKnight got the inside info from Bed Badler of Baseball America. Here's that interview. First and, and probably the biggest question White Sox fans have right now is how in the name of all that's holy are we pronouncing Luis Robert? <laughs> I've, uh, so I've always heard it pronounced as uh, Luis Robert. Uh, Fair enough. Uh, from, you know, people, that, including people in, in Cuba, uh, everybody else I know. Uh, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like I'm – I'm in Boston, and, and how, uh, how how I pronounce words here, or other people here uh, pronounce words a little different than people in Chicago or, or North Carolina pronounce words. So, But I've always heard as uh, Luis Robert. Well, then we will go with Luis Robert until, I guess, Luis tells us differently. Ben, tell me, how you've been over this for a couple of days now, and, well, really longer than that. How, how did the decision come down for Luis Robert, Robert to sign with the White Sox? Yeah, I've been doing Robert for a while. How did it come down between the White Sox and Cardinals? What were the last couple of days like, as far as you know? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as I know, it, it sounded like, uh, you know, the, the teams that were in on, on Robert were most of the teams that were kind of already were, were already over their international bonus pools, uh, mainly the Padres, the Astros, the Reds, the A's. I uh, think at a certain point, it probably just got a little bit too rich uh, for those clubs. I mean, all those teams were, were very aggressive uh, on him, there, you know, the Reds and the A's uh, both sent their their GM down to the Dominican Republic to to see him in person at private workouts. Uh, but it, it sounded like most of what I was hearing the last couple of days was Cardinals, White Sox. Um, you know, those teams are being very aggressive on him, and it sounded like it was down to those two teams. I mean, I you know, I don't know exactly what was uh, uh, being offered, but I would imagine it. Uh, it's probably pretty close. Uh, it sounds like the the White Sox kind of separated themselves just at uh, you know just at the end here today. You you wrote. We're talking with Ben Badler of Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Badler. He's got the name for the handle, which means he's important. On May 18th, you wrote that the White Sox would be sacrificing more to get him. Obviously, with the changes in uh, sacrificing more than other teams, I guess with the changes in how we go about getting international products into the major leagues now. Can you kind of describe what you meant by that and why, in your opinion, they chose to sacrifice more, like you wrote? Right. So, yeah, like I was saying, it's the, the teams that were always going to be in the mix for Robert were the teams that had already gone over their international bonus pools and really had done so last year on July 2nd when the international signing period opened. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of other teams... Uh, you know, we're already under a, a penalty for having previously gone over their bonus pools. So, like the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Yankees, you know, they couldn't offer him more than three hundred thousand dollars anyway. Uh, so they were out of the mix. Uh, other teams are planning to be aggressive this year on July second and sign sixteen-year-old kids out of the Dominican Republic and Venezuela for a million, two million, four million dollars. So uh, they couldn't sign Robert right now. Unless they were going to, you know, set, you know, give up those commitments, which which wasn't going to happen. So um, the White Sox were kind of the the aberration of the group because they hadn't already gone over their bonus pool. So mm-hmm. the, the teams that had already gone over, you know, they were already uh, they already knew that they were going to be going the next two signing periods without being able to sign any international amateur player for more than three hundred thousand dollars. 
whereas the White Sox weren't in that penalty range quite yet. Um, so by going over, that actually triggers penalties. So they're, they're now going to be in that same same penalty box of not being able to sign anyone for more than $300,000 for two years once this signing period closes on June 15th. I think the White Sox looked at it as, as saying, look, this is uh, we're clearly in a rebuild right now, and yeah, it, it's, it is a big opportunity cost uh, to be giving up to sign Luis Robert, but on the other hand, he's you know 19, he's turning 20 in August, and this is a guy who's going to help them at the major league level a lot faster, you know, even though he's probably like a low A to high A type player right now. Sure. Um, he's going to get there a lot faster than any 16-year-old kids that they might sign out of the Dominican Republic or Venezuela uh, either this year or, or next year. So so obviously this changes the White Sox outlook and ability to outlay cash on an international level for the next two years, what with the penalties. But do you get the sense that, you know, with the acquisition of Yoan Mankata, with going out on the market and bringing in Jose Abreu, do you get the sense that this acquisition of Luis Robert changes the international marketplace's opinion on the White Sox since, you know, over the last decade, 15 years or so, it has gone back and forth and been a little rocky. Um, you know, I think it's, it probably changes, if anything, more than anything, I think just the opinion of, of White Sox ownership. I mean, this is a team that has never gone over their international bonus pool. Uh, you know, nobody goes over their draft bonus pool uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you think back to the, the previous system where you could spend uh, basically whatever you wanted in the draft, uh, before the draft bonus pools were in place, but they had uh, these kind of like recommended slot values from the yeah. commissioner's office. Uh, the White Sox never really were a team to to go over those slot values. So um, that, you know, that certainly jumped out to me that, I mean, the the White Sox, you know, international scouts with Marco Patti and then obviously Rick Hahn and, and Kevin Williams must have made a very compelling case to, to ownership to, uh, to get this deal done because, I mean, if it's, you know, $25 million, they're going to have to pay another $25 million in, in tax. I mean, that's a $50 million commitment mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for a 19-year-old who's, um, you know, going to need probably a couple of years in the minor leagues. So, I mean, the White Sox have been, they've been definitely been more aggressive on, on the international market uh, in, in the last couple of years. They've been giving out seven, you know, seven-figure bonuses uh, to guys like Micker, Victor Adolfo, uh, Josue Guerrero, Franklin Reyes, some other guys that they uh, they have in the system. So uh, now they have to uh, shift strategy a little bit and uh, try to find some try to find some bargains and more uh, some more under the radar or, or overlooked guys in, the, in Latin America for the for the next couple of years. Ben Badler of Baseball America joining us here on White Sox Weekly. So, what kind of player do they get in Luis Robert? What kind of who does he comp to? I don't. I, I hate player comps. I hate asking you guys for player comps because they're they can be so dangerous. But I, the will of the people has spoken. They want their player comps. What what does he look like? Uh, what does he possess? What does he need to work on? And I, I think you mentioned low A, high A ish kind of start. I wonder what his horizon looks like to you. Yeah, I mean he's what stands out immediately. I mean. If, I'm sure you know you guys have all seen the the videos of him, and uh, he's just physical and 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 very lean, athletic type body. Uh, I think that certainly jumps out the most the the physicality, the athleticism. Uh, he's got outstanding bat speed. He's got plus raw power. Uh, it's a pretty sound swing too from from the right side of the plate, and he moves very well for his size too. Um, you know, I, I think the the upside is a guy who. 
you know, maybe can can play center field and, and potentially be a, a middle-of-the-order bat, which I'm sure is what the White Sox are, are looking at him, uh, given the price tag on him. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the risk is in. I've seen him since he was 16 years old. And, you know, to his credit, I mean, he's always been a very high-level performer, whether it's against kids his own age uh, at international tournaments. Uh, he was at an 1800 tournament. He was 16 years old. Uh, the first time I saw him uh, playing for for a Cuban junior national team, uh, he was the you know leading the Cuban league in, in on base percentage and slugging when he left this year. Mm. Uh, granted, the league has been very watered down by so many players leaving, but uh, you can't overlook the the performance. But I think the, the probably the biggest risk that I've seen on him is just swing and miss tendencies, uh, whether it's chasing high fastballs or expanding the strike zone sometimes. Uh, against breaking pitches, uh, and, and the quality of the pitching that he's facing in Cuba is, is not very good. I mean, even in their their top league, most guys there right now are, are probably throwing mid-80s type fastballs. So uh, that's some risk, and then I, I think just it remains to be seen how his uh, you know just how his body develops. I mean, he's very lean right now. I, when I saw him a couple of years ago, I thought, all right, this guy's just going to be a physical monster and put on you know, 20, 40 pounds on his frame and, mm. and move to uh, an outfield corner. Um, but he's, he's, he's stayed pretty lean. I, he's probably even, I think he's gotten even faster since he's left Cuba. So I think there's some chance that he uh, he might be able to play center field. It probably depends on, you know, who else the White Sox have, uh, you know, in center field or, or on the corners by the time he, he is ready. Um, whether he, he plays center or moves to a corner, but I think in – you know, he, he doesn't have a, a great arm, so it'd probably be left field if he does go to a corner. But, you know, if he does go to left field, I think, certainly I think he has the, the athleticism, the range to be uh, an above-average defender uh, over there, too. Where does he fit on your guys' ranking of the, the White Sox system as it stands now and, and kind of place him in a, in a top 100, I guess, prospect-wise? I mean, obviously the Sox have added a ton in the prospect development system like Mancata and Kopech, Giolito Lopez, and... They had Fulmer. That's probably a top five, one way or another, depending on how you slice them. Where does where does Robert fit? Yeah, I mean, we have Yoan Moncada as our, our number one prospect in baseball right now, uh, so he'd be behind him. I don't think he's as good as Moncada was coming out when when Moncada uh, initially signed with the Red Sox. Uh, you know, right now we have Ronaldo Lopez at, at twenty three, Michael Kopech at, at twenty four. Um, he, he'd probably be somewhere. To me, I, I'd probably put him above those guys, but with the caveat that I'm probably – and I, I like Lopez and I like Kopech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I, I'd probably have those two guys a little bit lower just because I'm a little bit more uh, risk-averse on, on pitchers. But sure. um, I, I think this guy is, is you know, certainly going to be, I, I would imagine, going to be in our, our top 50 prospects when we uh, shake it all out. I mean, he's not going to be uh, like a top 10 prospect like Moncada was. Uh, from you know, basically from the time that uh, he signed, but he's he's certainly going to be one of the uh, one of the better prospects in the game. You're going to see him on our, our top 100 list right away. And those lists come out pretty quickly, right? I mean, that's uh, you've got that coming out. The whole international signing period is going to be evaluated by Baseball America soon. And you guys have draft coverage uh, throughout the year, but that's all getting hot and bothered right now. Yeah, yeah, we got our we'll have probably our our midseason top 100 updates coming out uh, right around the Futures game in July. Uh, yeah, like you said before that, previewing the international signing period uh, leading up to July 2nd, which 
uh, I guess for White Sox fans, will probably be a little bit quieter this year <laughs> uh, than usual because you're not going to see him sign any money for more than three hundred thousand dollars. But yeah, but uh, you can just sure they can just listen to the podcast of this interview and everything will be fine. That'll just that'll take your mind off. Yeah, and it's uh, you know it'll be interesting to see um, you know what if they make any other moves because look the the signing period is still open until uh, the signing period is still open until June fifteenth. Yeah. So. Hey, if they're willing to spend, you know, fifty billion dollars, I, I don't know how much more they have in uh, in the tank to that they're willing to spend uh, going forward. But to me, you know, at, the way I see it is, it, it's certainly risky to go over your your bonus pool for one player like Robert. And, and they did sign some obviously some other players last year on July second right. between uh, Josue Guerrero, Anderson Comas, uh, Luis Miesas, uh, you know, some other guys. So. Um, but to me, you know, there's some other interesting Cuban players out there. Uh, I don't certainly nobody to the level of, uh, of Luis Robert, but it'll be interesting to see if maybe they sneak somebody else in uh, before the period closes. That's Baseball America's Ben Badler. Up next, we will hear more from White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting, Nick Hostetler, on this past week's White Sox draft picks. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. <laughs> White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. This is White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Steve Cashel in for Connor McKnight this week. Join us at Guaranteed Rate Field as the White Sox take on the Oakland Athletics on Sunday, June 25th. It's Southpaw's birthday, and the first 7,500 kids will receive a Southpaw bobblehead presented by Mercury, Chicago's Skyline Cruise Line. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. You know, we have heard from Nick Hostetler, who is the White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting, a couple of times so far in this show. Now let's check in with Nick again for a wrap on day three of the MLB draft. What can you tell us about Larry King's kid? <laughs> played at IMG. Um, no, he's, uh, his name's Chance King. He played at IMG in uh, Tampa. And, uh, uh, yeah, he's... Uh, we talked to Dennis Gilbert, and Dennis and I spoke about him uh, briefly, and um, he was still unsure of his college commitment as today when I talked to Chance, but uh, he was excited to be drafted, and um, he's, a, he's a tall, skinny, projectable right-handed pitcher. How many, how many ace kids did you end up taking? One. Just yeah, uh, we Angelo? Took, we took Angelo in the 40th round, and um, excited. Now, a few ace kids were drafted this year, Donovan Williams, and I think there was one other one um, who was out of the room at the time, but uh, it's it's... It's awesome to see those kids get an opportunity. And even though it's the 40th round and Angela's not going to sign, he's going to go to school. Um, you know, it's, it's great for these kids to be recognized. It's great for them to have their name in print, to always say they were drafted by, by the Chicago White Sox. And, um, and he's a great kid. And we, we make sure we take our ace player. Um, they have to meet a lot of different standards, um, obviously on the field stuff, but grades in school, um, attendance in school. So there's a lot of stipulations they have to meet to be considered to be drafted. A lot to pick through today. Any highlights yeah. of the day? <laughs> yeah, today was. Uh, this is not my favorite day of the draft. Yesterday is. I, I like rounds rounds three to ten. Mm-hmm. Eleven to forty can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, you know, Will Cannon, our eleventh round pick, is a big power arm righty from um, Indiana State that we were excited to get. We actually worked on him last night, uh, right after we were finished. Uh, we made a couple calls and made sure we were in position to take him. Um, Alex Destino, a left-handed hitter, uh, outfielder from South Carolina. Big power. He came to our workout here and worked out for us. And um, really liked what we saw 
at one point in the year we had him in the third round. He started to slump, um, so we dropped him a little bit, but we were pretty excited to get him there. Um, Tate Blackman, uh, the second baseman from Ole Miss, is another one. Um, obviously, it's a redundant comment of mine with the universities and colleges. We took a lot of college kids this year, and not by choice, not by design. It just kind of fell that way. But um, those are guys that really jumped out off the page um, You know, when, when we were happy to get them where we got them. There was, I think, at one point through 30 rounds, you had 29 college kids. Yeah. One kid who played water polo. Water polo, yeah. How about that, huh? <laughs> um, you know, we, uh, in, in there was a time in the second round, um, or I'm sorry, the third round, where we were uh, targeting a high school guy and got picked. Um, we got picked three different times on high school players. It happens. There's a point in the draft where there's usually runs on high school players, and you can only there's a small window you can sign these guys. Um, they're you know usually before the the fifth round, just because of the bonus stipulations. It's hard to sign them afterwards. So once we get after that, usually it's going to be mostly college. But we had to make sure that we were in position to take a few of those guys. It just didn't it didn't fall right. Which kind of I love who we got. Still kind of hurts me a little bit with my high school roots. Tom Green, the basketball yeah. coach, took his son. I did. Uh, Riley's a right-handed pitcher in Bloomington, um, Indiana, signed to go to the University of Indiana. Um, I actually saw Riley pitch prior to me coming up for the draft. Um, Riley was 86 to 90. He showed a good breaking ball at 78. It's a lot of projection, Riley, six foot four. Um, yeah, Tom, Tom has become a close, close friend of mine. We've, we've talked in detail about it, and I know Riley's looking at some different options. He's going to go to school, um, but he was also on our area code team. Um, he's The breaking ball for us shows us, because of how hard he throws it, that there's projection with the fastball. Um, but it was it was an exciting time. I had a chance to call him, and they sent me a video when he got taken. And it, look, it pulls at my heartstrings to watch a kid get drafted into the excitement of the family and, and the parents and everybody. Um, the only problem with his uncle being a you know, Mr. Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> me being a Buckeye fan, that's the only part of it that hurts, Merkin. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I have great respect for, for Jim Harbaugh and, and that family and Tom Crean, so I was excited that we could be up for drafting. You said with Chance King, you're not sure if he's going to go to college or play for, play pro? Yeah, I think he's going he's gonna to end up going to school. He, he, had to, he had not decided on his college yeah. commitment yet. Got the third guy from uh, Louisville, uh, Logan yeah. Taylor. We, um, we took a run on Louisville players. They're good thing they're good this year. Um, <laughs> yeah, between uh, between Louisville and I think we took uh, two Missouri State guys. We took a couple South Carolina guys. Um, Logan Taylor can really run. He played. He's a starting center fielder for him. Um, he's a 70-80 runner. He's a leadoff front of top of the order type guy. And look, a solid senior where we got him. We were pretty excited to get. Logan, it, it, it gets hard when you get in the seniors. They get picked over pretty quickly because of the discount and the way the pools are set up. So for Logan to be there where we took him um, in the 16th round, we were pretty happy to get him. Did you go to Zach Birdie for input on those I did guys? not. I stay away from Zach. Zach's, uh, Zach, <laughs> Zach's, I got Zach for some recommendations one time, and, man, we about an hour later we finally got into the actual question I asked him. Um, <laughs> I love Zach to death. He is a high – he's just – I got a high motor. Um but I didn't. We didn't ask him on any of them. Um, it is kind of fun to see those guys kind of feed off each other. When I just found out today, Lincoln Hensman and Cade McClure have been roommates since their freshman year, and I, I had I had no idea of that. Um, so there's some things that you know you almost can know too much sometimes about a player, mm-hmm. and I, I I like to keep while the makeup and all that's important as part of it. But I like to be able to evaluate the player on the field for him. 
You had a couple guys who were going to be in the College World Series yeah. and kind of anxious to watch them uh, out there. Yeah, I wasn't planning to go to Omaha, and I think maybe now I probably should, especially if TCU and uh, Louisville match up. If they match up, I'm going to have to. I've never been. I've never been to the College World Series, um, and I've always watched it on TV. And as a kid growing up, I remember the Warren Morris home run for LSU and him going around the bases like crazy. So I'd like to go. I think maybe if they match up, I'm going to go. But um, I did tell Evan Skog last night that if one of those Louisville pitchers hit him, that he can pay them back pretty soon when they get teammates together. So um, it's exciting to watch. It's fun to watch. I I mean, it's always nice to click on the TV and they're talking about some of your draft picks. Did Rick do all the scouting on the last catcher that you did? Yeah. Yeah, that was all Rick. That was all Rick. We were <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick used that for home games <laughs> to get him home. But yeah, it was. Uh, it's, it's always good to get a local kid, you know, and, and to give them the notoriety of having a, a solid, successful high school career. And um, you know, we like to do those things for for local kids in certain parts of the draft. He's going to go to college. He's going to go to college. Yeah. Overall, how would you? I know it's first year, yeah. but how would you characterize the draft? Yeah, picture? you know, look, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm going to sound cliche when I keep saying, you know, when I say we're excited about it, because no scouting director is going to stand up here and say they hated it. Come, if I do, I should be fired tomorrow. But um, we were we were really excited with the adjustments and how I was more proud of the way our staff was prepared. Our guys were prepared. We were ready for the curveballs that were thrown. There were a few curveballs during the during the draft that were thrown at us that we had to adjust. Um, I was really proud of how prepared our staff was. Um, they did a great job this year of getting us ready. And you know, we added high-impact, power, middle-of-the-order bats that really control the strike zone. And that was really our key. We, we started adding some guys that could run today, and we had some big power arms. Hopefully a few of those develop into starters, but we definitely got some really solid big-time bullpen pieces today. That's White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting Nick Hostetler with his draft wrap-up. Up next on White Sox Weekly, we're going to have our farm report. I'm Steve Cashel, and for Connor McKnight, you're listening to WLS AM 890. Welcome back, everyone, to White Sox Weekly. I'm Steve Cashel, in for Connor McKnight this weekend. Have you ever wanted the chance to enjoy a picnic in the outfield of Guaranteed Rate Field? Meet 2017 White Sox team members and talk to White Sox alumni. Now is your chance. Join us on Sunday, June 25th for Picnic in the Park. All proceeds benefit White Sox charities. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSoxCharities.org. Time for this week's Farm Report. Last night, the AAA Charlotte Knights beat the Indianapolis Indians 12-4. The Knights led by home runs from Dan Hayes, Yoan Mankata, Nick Delmonico, and Carson Blair. Yoan Mankata finishing the night going four for four with the home run and four RBI. Tonight, the Knights face the Indians again with first pitch at 6.05 Central Time. Carlos Rodon back on the hill for the Knights as he continues his journey back to the White Sox. And back to the big leagues in the game you heard earlier today between the White Sox and the Blue Jays from Toronto. Let's take you through the highlights right now. Well, the White Sox getting off to another good start today, putting two runs on the board in the top of the second for starting pitcher Mike Pelfrey. Todd Frazier in the DH role today started the scoring on one swing. Here's the 3-1. Swing and a long one to left. Tagged, bagged. Hello, Canada. One nothing White Sox. Frazier's 11th home run of the season, and Matt Davidson followed that with this off Jay's starter, Marcus Stroman. 0-1-2 the count. A swing and a long one left center field. On the move, Dwight Smith looks up. They go back-to-back. 15th home run for Davidson, 2-0 White Sox. Yeah, and Davidson's fifth in his last six games, the fourth time the Sox have gone back-to-back. 
deep this season. Blue Jays got one of those runs back in their half of the second when Ryan Goins delivered with two men on. The 1-2 pitch, swinging a fly ball. This is charged right center field on the move. Hanson not going to get it. It bounces over the wall. Oh, that would have scored two. It's a ground rule double. Home Morales to Lewitsky has to go back to third base. Well, it stayed 2-1 Sox till the sixth inning when Jose Abreu led off the inning with this shot. Two balls, two strikes. Stroman sidestep kicked the 2-2 to Abreu. Swinging a long one left center field. This is going to split the gap to the track. It's gone. A line drive home run to left center field. 3-1 White Sox. He pulled the hands in and still hit it out. Yeah, the strength of Abreu, his 11th home run of the season. Meanwhile, Sox starter Mike Pelfrey was cruising. He retired 10 in a row before giving up a single in the sixth to Kevin Pillar, but uh, got out of it with this. Now look at first, the 2-1. A swing and a double play ball, perhaps up the middle. Anderson has it, steps on the bag. The shortstop throws to first. At six unassisted on the out at second. 6-3 on the back end of that double play. Yeah, and then he had to face the uh, number three batter in that uh, Jays lineup, the always uh, tough Jose Bautista. Three balls, two strikes, and the 3-2 with two outs. Pop them up. Who wants it? Right side of the infield. Abreu tells Yomer Sanchez, get away from me, and makes a catch, and that'll do it. Yeah, great job by Pelfrey's going six complete innings, surrendering just one run on four hits, and he left it up to the Sox bullpen, which did get into some trouble in the seventh inning. Big pitch here on 1-0 to Smith. White Sox looking for a double play grounder. Two on, one out, and the 1-0. A swing and a shot up the middle. That squeezes through for a hit. It's going to be a 1-1 ball game. Smoke coming home. Throw coming home offline. Grabbed by Abreu. White Sox now lead 3-2. Well, fortunately, uh, Sox reliever Tommy Canely came in. He ended that Jays rally. This one is swinging a double play ball to short. The second for one on the first. They turn it. 6-4-3 on the inning and he double play. Give him the cape. Pull a rabbit out of your hat. Canely going to the dugout. White Sox lead 3-2. to two. Yeah, great job by Tommy Canely in this one. And the Sox then added to their slim lead in the eighth inning. Nalan Hansen singling again in that leadoff spot. Doing a great job since uh, signing on with the White Sox. Later got the third with Todd Frazier standing in. One ball, no strikes on Todd Frazier, the 1-0. Swing and a jam shot on the ground to third. Donaldson had it, dropped it, safe at home plate. Frazier's on and an error by Donaldson. He was going to get the run at first and close out the inning. One run scores. That's an error on the third baseman. Yeah, second error of the game on Jays third baseman Josh Donaldson. Sox led at 4-2. They added another in the ninth inning thanks to a leadoff double by Tim Anderson and two consecutive bunts. One won the count, one out, runner at third, and he's showing bunt, and he gets it down. This is a beauty. Home, no problem. With Anderson, a throw to first, wide. It goes down the right field line, tracking it down at uh, first base with no problem. As Sanchez has a run batted in, a sacrifice bunt, he's safe on an errant throw all the way to second base. Nicely done, 5-2 Sox. Yeah, great execution by the White Sox, who built the lead to 5-2 with closer David Robertson finishing things off with a perfect ninth inning. One ball, two strikes, the one, two to smoke. Inside corner, strike three. This game has come to an end. White Sox come in to Toronto, grab yesterday's game 11-4, to four, win this afternoon 5-2, to two, and go for the sweep tomorrow. How about that? Yeah, Sox winning at 5-2, to two, taking the first two games of this three-game series in Toronto.
And that will do it for this week's White Sox Weekly. Many thanks to White Sox Director of Amateur Scouting, Nick Hostetler, White Sox GM, Rick Hahn, Hawk Harrelson, White Sox catcher, Kevin Smith, Ben Badler from Baseball America, and our very own Steve Dahl. I'm Steve Cashel in for Connor McKnight. We'll talk with you again tomorrow for White Sox Baseball. I'll have the pregame show beginning at 1135 until Ed and DJ take over for the first pitch at 1207. So long, everybody.